Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast with our Ask the Expert series, a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Max Curtin, Editor-in-Chief here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. So today I'm being joined by Neil Howe, who's the CEO and co-founder at 1080 Group, a digital platform that connects you with a global on-demand workforce. So Neil, thank you very much for coming on today's podcast and talking to me. Thanks for the introduction and for having me. Yeah, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to our conversation because we're going to be looking at the idea of Uberizing IT project delivery. And before we get into that, it would be great if you could maybe give our listeners a little bit of background on yourself and then we'll, we'll have a look at this subject matter. So my background is predominantly project delivery. I suppose this is probably where it boils down to. And I've been delivering technology projects, predominantly SAP. So the German technology company since I left university almost. And I've worked on all facets. So I've worked for end users, so the people that actually use the systems. And then I've worked for consultancies, sort of implementing them on their behalf. And then at the latter stages of sort of that career, working in um, as a freelance contractor. I think it's probably fair to say that as my career has progressed, I've kind of got a little bit uncomfortable, I suppose, really, mm. um, with the marketplace as it currently is. And that sort of led to a bit of an itch and eventually that itch got scratched and fast forward to 2019 and 1080 was sort of pretty much conceived, if you like, after three days with my business partner in a hotel conference room. So all the best ideas come from, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed, yeah. But yeah, so, but 1080 is like you sort of summarised as a marketplace and it facilitates the purchase of SAP outcomes, so not time, via the world's first connected workforce. So our mission at a high level is to connect every SAP client in the world with every single SAP contractor in the world through outcomes and not time. Mm -hmm. That's born on the back that time, in my opinion, is basically is dead money and it's too risky because the client, the recipient, is responsible for the conversion of time to the outcome. In my kind of 2020 world, time is the old thinking. Yeah, I think that's a, a very fair approach to take and very important skill to have in the world. So it's interesting when we're talking about the subject matter of this Uberizing IT project delivery, but I think a good introduction, a good starting point for people listening is what does it mean when we're saying to Uberize a project? Yeah, so Uberize is actually a, a proper word in the dictionary, and I hadn't actually appreciated this until a couple of weeks ago when I looked, but the definition of it in the dictionary is to subject a business model to change in which the services are offered on demand through direct contact between customer and supplier, usually via technology. And it's born clearly from Uber, the company. And Uber did something very clever with how they sold their services and marketed their services because they recognized that people aren't really interested in the journey of the taxi. What they're interested in is getting to their destination. And people want to get to their destination with the least friction possible in the fastest possible way. And they're not really that worried about the journey. And that's sort of the premise that we've sort of built 1080 on is when we're Uberizing projects with delivery, we're sort of talking about an on-demand workforce. So something you can pick up and put down as and when you need it. Something that's very delivery focused, not time focused. And the focus is entirely on the outcome as well. So we're not too worried about the process. We're not too worried about the journey. We're just focused on the fact that we're going to get delivered something, something tangible that we can sort of monitor, play with, look at, etc. at the end of that particular process. And if we do that with the project, then we can leverage technology and we can then leverage markets and, and use different ways to solve problems because there's no middlemen and we're going direct to the source of the, the skill and the expertise from that angle. 
it comes down to that, as you were saying, the intro, it's that efficient, but also highly economical background that it can provide. And as you say, cuts out that middleman and just makes life a lot easier for a lot of people. So it's, it's a brilliant idea and it's a brilliant kind of way to look at projects in terms of how things are approached. But what do you think it is about the kind of business needs and, you know, the goals today that create such a compelling case for this Uberization? There's a number of factors that have all kind of come together, really, and form this kind of critical mass. And some of that is the business world is frustrated, I think, at the minute. And I think it's frustrated with the consultancies that deliver these projects. And and there's a big stigma about failed IT projects and all those things as well. And if you spoke to a CFO or a CIO or a CTO now, they would say their biggest fear is a failed project because it looks bad on the company and it looks bad on them as individuals. So they're kind of really focusing on certainty of outcome now. And that's kind of their number one factor that they look at and there's definitely a demand for speed and almost impatience it's it's almost like a cultural thing and i know we've we've sort of we're in the midst now of this whole kind of the millennial workers are kind of taking the senior management in organizations now and they've got that kind of cliche of kind of wanting it now and and sort of a bit more impatient delivery if that makes sense Mm. and they don't really want to wait for these projects to be delivered anymore they want things that are done in a fast clear transparent way as quickly as possible so that ultimately they can get the benefits of those projects into their organizations as fast as possible and therefore the speed to deployment is a big key factor for them whilst decreasing the risk on the business itself and also i think there's a real lack of innovation in this world so People are still buying time, which is something we did in the 1970s when we ran these types of projects. And that's not changed since then. So we've had, what, four decades since then. And there's been zero innovation at all about this. But buying time is risky because it puts the onus on the conversion of that time into into whatever you're trying to get. And then got the management of that person, the cost involved in that. And it's all just too soft and fluffy. There are too many factors that can influence the delivery of the outcome by buying that person for a chunk of time. What's a far smarter way to do it is to buy the outcome and then not worry too much about how that outcome is going to be delivered to you as long as it meets your relevant quality uh, standards, etc. along the way. So you mentioned in there the now generation and things being picked up a lot more quickly, but where does it stand in terms of a risk element? Because obviously delivering at that speed and cutting out different sections, there's, there's got to be a risk factor to, to think of, right? Absolutely, there is. And organisations that typically step into this model step into it slowly and, and cautiously, I suppose, because it is a fundamental shift to the status quo, I suppose, from that perspective. But the cost savings versus the risk on it are quite significant. If you imagine a project that's going through a middleman, let's say, the middleman's adding a markup on it, whether that's a recruiter, whether that's a, a systems integrator or a consultancy, they're all adding markups on it at the end. And in effect, you're taking away that markup and, and creating a better ROI on the work you're doing. You're right, it is important, absolutely important to manage the risk on that. And typically that's done through a slightly different approach to kind of the project management world. And we very much see a, a definition, if you like, of a increased quality when we're passing these work packages, let's call them that, out to individuals, especially if they're not in your immediate vicinity and they might be into a global market for example so the role of the project manager is gradually evolving in this world as well because they're now creating these work packages to a defined definition and they are passing them to a third party and then receiving them back again so the, the project manager is becoming a bit more like a quality gate as well from that aspect yeah definitely that makes sense and 
Another area I wanted to look at as well as obviously IT contractors play a factor as well. So, so how do contractors benefit from this style of working? It is a really interesting one because for the first time, certainly in our model, the contractors can play from anywhere in the world. So if you were based in America, you could quite easily work with somebody in the UK, South Africa, wherever you might be based. So contractors have now got global reach for their skill sets. And a really important part of what sort of we're receiving as feedback is they're now stopping trading time for money. So a contractor is only ever going to be limited to eight hours per day. And let's say that's £500 a day, for example. That's literally the cap that they are going to be placed on. Now, if that contractor stops selling time and starts selling outcomes, there's a potential here for them to work on two or three outcomes, maybe at the same time. And they're not capped by their eight hours per day. They could do whatever they like from that angle, as long as clearly they're meeting the deliverables of, of each of the clients. So it is a huge shift to how contracting could work from a financial perspective, but also gives them a huge sort of work-life balance mm. tick as well from that perspective, because they can work whenever they like. I mean, we have contractors working for us that work just in the evenings, some that work just at the weekends, some that work full-time on the platform. It, it is some part-time. It, it is up to them entirely where and how they want to work, which kind of gives them a, that kind of, um, and it comes to this new generational thing, really, it's kind of work when you want type territory but it still delivers what the organization is seeking for in terms of their deliverable from that perspective. And I think there is kind of a general consensus that the contract world is getting a little bit frustrated with the consultancies and all those other ones as well, because they're beholden, I suppose, really, to that brand and the project. And and possibly they see themselves as individuals and they have their own skills and might not necessarily agree 100% with the values of those consultancies as well and can't really do much about those things, but they can if they're kind of going in on their own and and delivering as they need to from an outcome perspective. As you say, it gives that work-life balance, which is so important for a lot of people, and and you're right, it's it's going to become a conversation that's being had for the next 6 to 12 months and onwards. So it's interesting to see how that kind of shift could take place. And obviously it's beneficial for the contractors and it's beneficial for the company as well. So it's interesting to see that element as well. So we spoke a little bit about risk in terms of what the company has to factor in. And there's a lot of elements at play that needs to be considered. But outside of that, I also wanted to get your thoughts on what businesses need to consider when they're looking to Uberize a project. What other factors need to be clearly outlined before starting? Risk and project management we've also sort of touched on, broadly speaking. They will shift slightly in terms of how their operational aspects work. But also there's a number of aspects around things like the organization needs to be relatively mature in its thinking to operate this kind of model. And by that, I mean, You have to be quite precise in what you're asking in terms of an outcome. You need to be quite defined and you need to be quite structured so that there's not toing and froing. Because if there's toing and froing, you're kind of almost burning time. So the more mature the organization is in terms of creating a really rock solid, let's just call it a requirement, that absolutely helps this model move forward quite nicely and, and quite quickly as well. Another thing that's quite interesting is, and we, we don't talk about this when we when we with the clients as such, but one of the knock-on benefits that you get from this is that if you imagine you've got somebody working an eight-hour day, I can't remember what the latest research is, but it was something like in every eight-hour day, only about three hours are effective work or, or concentrated work because the rest of it is a distraction or emails or whatever it might be. There's only deliverables being received, if you like, by the organizations for about three hours. So when you look at it like that, that's a really poor conversion, so three out of eight hours. 
But when you flip to a model that's outcome-based and you pass those requirements out to a workforce around the world, in effect, you are improving the ratio and all eight hours of your day are effective at that point in time because you're receiving outcome for all of those eight hours. So what we typically see is some project timescales become quite aggressive because you're cutting out this kind of dead time as, as we would perhaps describe it. And that's interesting because that then puts pressure on the organization to manage its own internal change processes to receive the project at a slightly faster rate as well. So there's an interesting dynamic at play there because the project might operate faster than the organization can do, which I don't think we've seen before. Clearly, moving to this kind of model, we're moving into different time zones, different cultures, and having an understanding and an appreciation of that, if you push out to a global marketplace, is a huge undertaking, quite frankly. And there are a lot of stories of working with certain countries around the world that have certain cultural aspects to them. And it needs an understanding and an appreciation of that culture in order to get the best out of it, if that makes sense. And what's funny as well is some of the um, sort of senior managers, if you like, come to us and say, well, this is fantastic because we've cut out the can you just mentality. Mm. We see this happen all the time and you must do too. It's when you, somebody walks up to your desk and goes, oh, Max, can you just, and as soon as something starts with that sentence, you know it's going to distract you from your core job. Hide under the desk whenever I hear that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and it is that. And you are, you are ineffectively distracting somebody from their core job at that point in time. And in effect, you're increasing the organizational discipline by passing that work out into small chunks because that's just disappearing from the day, if that makes sense. It is an interesting efficiency from an organization's perspective. And, and we're seeing quite good cost savings from the people we're working with and you know, from that side, some up to 40% and things like that. But it does come down to the fact that a lot of businesses are a little bit frustrated with the status quo and want something different, quite frankly. Mm. The COVID example is a great one that we've just come through at the minute. Everybody's just deployed a remote workforce of some degree in nature. And at the minute, what's happened is we've just deployed that workforce 10 miles down the road from the office. And we've set up all the tools and collaborative working practices and policies and things like that to make that a success. And, and lots of companies have done it really, really well. And it's not too different, really, to going that step further and taking what we would call kind of remote working 2.0 and passing work out slightly further afield than that as well. Companies have already been forced to take the first step down that journey, and now it's up to the companies to take the next step if they choose to do so. The benefits are there, and outlined great there in terms of what can come from it, and also cutting down a lot of that extra noise and extra you know time that doesn't need to be spent and can be directed elsewhere. So it's interesting when you say remote working 2.0 and how that is going to kind of come into play and and be such a a driving factor so i think the space that you're in at the moment over the next six 12 months is going to be a very interesting one to watch for sure and that leads me nicely onto my final question because i wanted to ask and and you've kind of given me the answer already in, in that question but how popular is this business model currently and how do you or how do you want it to evolve in the future there is always a natural scepticism for a new way of working. When we first invented remote working on day one, whenever that was, it was resisted and et cetera, et cetera. So there is always a natural scepticism of change. But interestingly enough, in our world, bigger organizations have been the ones to embrace this quicker than the smaller organizations. And I think that probably is because they're recognizing the fact that this is a, such a huge fundamental shift in how they're operating going forwards. And I do think that the execs at that level of the business and those size businesses are genuinely quite fed up of the status quo. Mm. And they don't want another failed project on their watch anymore. 
and they're after something a little bit more different, a little bit more um, in terms of certainty of outcome and all that kind of stuff. And they're quite keen to pass the time to outcome conversion risk onto other people so that they're literally just receiving the product or the lump of whatever it might be going forwards. And sometimes we describe it as um, outcome as a service, which is another take on sort of what we're sort of broadly speaking about. I expect that to be increasing in velocity, should we say, across the whole industry as we move forward. COVID pushed us into this quite aggressively. And for all the negative impacts it's had, and gosh, it's been an absolute tragedy, it's left organisations with an infrastructure now where potentially they can leverage through this kind of model. And if they're smart enough, then the forward-thinking ones will absolutely be wanted to leverage the benefits they've seen from that model in their standard day-to-day practices from that angle. Mm-hmm. It'll be only a matter of time until this becomes an almost go-to standard, I believe, in terms of how we're delivering things. And we move the kind of transactional aspect out of our businesses and into these third-party experts, if you like, that can deliver them on our behalf. I couldn't agree more. And it's um, very important to leverage those benefits. And as I said previously, it's a very exciting space and it has a lot of opportunities to really transform at the moment. We're having a lot of conversations about digital transformation and and where organizations are heading. And I think this is going to be a major part of it as well. So Neil, all I can say is thank you very much for coming onto the podcast today, walking us through all of these matters and just giving your insight, really. Yeah, no problem. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, who took the time to listen to this. We hope you took a lot away from it. We'll be back next week in another episode of our Ask the Experts series. In the meantime, please subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasting fix from. In the meantime, you can head on over to em360tech.com for more great content. You've been listening to the EM360 Podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com.